What's up, watch fam, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm here today with Lauren and Lorenzo of Laurier Watches. How's it going today? Going well. Going well. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Obviously, you guys are a significant micro brand in the watch collecting community. You're very well known. Your pieces are extremely distinct and uh, very easy to recognize and, and, and pick up in photos and, and publications and things like that. People love your stuff. And I think it's a really cool opportunity to be able to chat with you guys and find out more about your brand and find out more about the wonderful people behind it. So thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. It's really exciting to talk with you. Yeah, it's our ah, pleasure. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's an honor <laughs> you mentioned all that. But, wow. <laughs> the honor is all mine. Trust me. Um, so really quickly, before we get into the questions and kind of the convo today, what do you have on the wrist? Oh, uh, so I have uh, the Neptune Series 3 on my wrist. It's basically been my daily for the past year or so. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about the Neptune Series 3? Like, what's the difference between all the different series that, that you've put out? Uh, so the Neptune was the first watch we ever released. Uh, series three is obviously the third version of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the thinnest out of all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried to make it the most refined version. I mean, that's of the that's, Neptune. <laughs> that's really the goal of we ever, you know, release an updated version mm -hmm. on any watch. But yeah, ideally, it's the most refined. Well, yeah, but you I know, mean, like, objectively, I've yeah, series one and series two were very sporty and kind mm -hmm. of rugged and series three, we kind of wanted to uh, make the lines a bit more dynamic and less uh, utilitarian, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's I, I mean, it's 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 uh, I was gonna say graceful. <laughs> this is the most graceful out of all of them. Yeah, it's kind of like. It's yeah. kind of like a mix of like a uh, if you're going like you said from more of like the harsh tool dynamic to more of like kind of like the the watch that you could wear out to dinner, but also to the beach type of thing. Right. So that's exactly right. what we're going yeah. for with that. I mean, <laughs> the reason it's so much thinner is because we changed the movement. So mm -hmm. we went from a Seiko to a Miyota, um, and we we're able to shave several millimeters off. So interesting. That really, you know, even. A millimeter or two can totally change the proportions and the dynamic mm -hmm. and the overall vibe of a watch so it's it's pretty cool to see but it's also a big challenge when you're dealing with such small measurements and differences i'd imagine so definitely and so what did you find was uh, the biggest benefit other than um case thickness and switching over from the mio or from the uh nh35 over to the miota uh you know um i was gonna say oh well it's high beat so the speed is smoother but we never really cared about that <laughs> so, um, uh, but you know people do so that's you know that that would be a benefit uh um it's been, it's been performing well for us yeah yeah the seiko yeah. never let us down the Miyota has been mm -hmm. performing well as yeah, yeah, about the same in terms of reliability. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of accuracy, it, it is better. Mm -hmm. um, not that you can't regulate a Seiko to keep mm -hmm. the same time, basically, uh, but like out of the box, generally speaking, it's better. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also not that uh, date position. Mm, like people so, call it ghost date. Yeah, the, yeah, the ghost, the phantom oh, okay. date, the ghost yeah. date position on it. 
So, so for purists who have a yeah, no-date watch. Yeah. I mean, I used to not care about it, but now that, you know, now that you have it, it's like, okay, like I get it. Like it's, <laughs> it's better not to have it. So yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Very mm-hmm. cool. And, and Loren, what do you have on the wrist today? Um, I have a Falcon series two. Um, can I say it's in my daily? I don't know. Cause I've been switching around a lot. Um, but yeah, this is yeah, what I've usually, been wearing. This usually, is what I've been yeah. wearing the past couple of weeks. So yeah, it's serves me well. Mm-hmm. Usually you wear the Hydra. Yeah. 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 Oh, but I always get a lot of compliments when I wear the Falcon from you, especially. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh. yeah, it looks good on you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. So that's what I'm wearing today. And what was the inspiration for the Falcon? Um, it's, it's kind of our, why can't, um, sports watch and adventure watch also be elegant? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why does an adventurer's watch have to look rugged, mm-hmm. um, when it can serve the purpose, um, and look refined? Mm-hmm. So that was our challenge um, for that. Um, another I mean, it, it gave us the opportunity to use a waffle dial, which we, mm. you know, we, there's certain things that we kind of have our eyes on that we want to incorporate. Um, the waffle dial is one of them. Um, so yeah, this is kind of our do it all. Probably at least what I, um, what I'm getting from customer feedback is like, it is the most daily wear mm-hmm. of a watch right, it is the right. most flexible if you're going to have one watch and wear it every day the falcon would be it right um yeah. you can make that argument about any of our watches because that's how we kind of go about designing them we mm-hmm. kind of say is this a watch that a person could wear every day you know and depending their on their personality watch. their style yeah. that kind of thing but i think the falcon just really lends itself to that um right out of the gate it's yeah. kind of like uh like when i'm hearing kind of your description of what you want it to be it sounds a lot of kind of like a like the rolex explorer type of watch like the explorer yeah, one right yeah like- yeah exactly exactly but we wanted we wanted the falcon to reference uh models that were earlier than that mm. so the proto explorers that rolex used to come up with the explorer mm-hmm. you know like uh you know you have all these adventures like uh uh, Sir, Sir Edmund Hillary, Sir Edmund Hillary. Tenzing yeah, Tenzing Norgay, right? And then you look at the watches they wore, and like they're like today they're dress watches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's pretty baller. Something that we want to bring back, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so your watches, like I've noticed, there's definitely like obviously modern build quality, modern materials, but it's, it very much kind of harkens back to like the golden age of early watchmaking, right? with like these classic designs, um, very aesthetically pleasing, you know, you use a lot of guilt to use things like, um, again, like waffle dials that you'll incorporate into your watches, flat link bracelets, more classical sizing. So it's almost like you're making like a modern vintage brand kind of, is that kind of almost how to describe your watches or describe the aesthetic of your pieces? Like what is the inspiration for that style of design for your pieces? I mean, pretty much exactly nailed it on the head. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, when we want our watches to feel like they came out of a time machine, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of the background story to that is, okay, so we were teaching and, you know, we're, we're, we're into vintage watches just because there's, there's something about the design, I think, 
during that era where like pre-quartz crisis, 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe even going back to the 30s, I think that was the pinnacle mm-hmm. of watches as a functional design object. Mm. And like with an and emphasis not as on- as a like luxurious accessory, right, but like right, a functional yeah. design. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was with the emphasis on, on the functional part, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's like, like there's such a romance to that. And so, you know, we'd like be on Hodinki like every day and be like, oh, these watches, like as teachers, we're like, oh, these watches are like tens of thousands of dollars. They're not for us. Like, <laughs> we're never, we're never going to have these. Mm-hmm. But they used to be for people like us. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we wanted to bring back. And we had one summer off and, you know, three and a half years later, here we are making our own. Right. Yeah. So instead <laughs> of using our money to buy ourselves one watch, <laughs> we bought a whole lot of watches. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's so cool that you kind of just saw, like, you wanted to basically create this brand that goes back to, to that kind of, like we said, that golden age, but that goes back to sort of that, that ethos of, you know, design and function coming together to create a really, really good watch, right? Like something that you can't, that can handle climbing a mountain or going cave diving or going underwater or going to the beach. Like almost, it's almost the idea of creating like, like those watches you see on Hodinkee where it's like, chances are some guy went and bought that. That was his one watch for 30 years, right? Like it's a, it's a right. watch that you could wear every day of your life or a watch that you could just work into a, into a collection and have in a rotation. You can do both. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's something really cool and something that, you know, I think as the watch community has changed so much over time and now it's gone from, you know, uh, such a small niche to a broader uh, community. And, and there's so many people that are now collecting multiple pieces. It's cool to still have a brand that's making a watch that's like you could just buy this one watch and it'll do everything that you need it to do. Or you can have it as part of a large collection. I think that's really neat. And then and then goes back and brings you those those classic designs, because really, I mean, if you want to get into a watch with classic designs, right? I mean, you can go back to the companies that were making those classic designs, but like you said, you're going to be paying thousands and thousands of dollars for something like, you know, a Speedmaster mm-hmm. for an Explorer, for a Submariner, whatever, right? Whereas right, you, can right, get, yeah. you can get into something at a much more reasonable and accessible price point um, that has a lot of those beautiful design aesthetics, but still does their own thing. Like it's, it's, it's cool that your watch is have their own identity while also encompassing and incorporating so many design elements from classical pieces from back in the day. I think that's really, it's a really, well, it's a unique, it's a unique unique thing. It's a, it's a hard balance to strike. Right. I mean, especially in a world right now where everything is like dive watches, it's all dive watches. It's all tool dive watches. It's like a lot of them look very similar, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, now it's like you have someone who's carving out a unique design kind of niche for themselves within the market. And I think that's super cool. So yeah, that's really the hardest, you know, line to tread, you know, Mm -hmm. just keeping it classic but at the same time have it, having its own identity right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean when, when we're at the drawing board like part of us has to like imagine okay it's 1953 mm-hmm. and you know and we're in Switzerland <laughs> and we're you know drawing up a watch and 
you know, like so, sometimes, you know, it, it works. That's some real good method acting there. Yeah, method well, design. yeah. It's <laughs> hard um, though, right? You have, you have to insert yourself into a different time and a time that, you know, neither of you appear to be old enough to have experienced. So, <laughs> yeah, I, know, right. I, I know I certainly yeah. have, yeah. haven't. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's actually quite challenging to be able to insert yourself into a totally different time, a totally different mindset, totally different location and try and wrap your head around like, okay, what would be relevant from then? And, and I'm assuming like, so you guys have to do a lot of, you probably have done a lot of looking into like the time period of design and looking into kind of like what was hot back then and what was the style or, or I guess some of the, the big things that people were doing and looking for in their watches back then. You probably had to really familiarize yourself at that point in time to really be designing pieces from then, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean. And as much like as, as many watch brands as there are now and as much diversity as there is now, like there is still a lot of diversity back then in design mm -hmm. and we'll find ourselves thinking that we're making something totally from scratch and totally mm -hmm. original. And then we'll do some diving like, Oh, that exact watch has existed already. Mm -hmm. Like what? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so sometimes they're like, okay, redo, we go, uh, yeah. start, start from scratch again. And let's see. Um, mm -hmm. Because especially when we're working within a certain look, a certain style, um, there's there's some pretty uh, strict limitations on where we can go right um, right first you have just the physicality mm -hmm. of the watch the movement okay you need a case around it like obviously mm -hmm. dial and hands and all that it's like physically there's only so much you can do and then of course you want to make the watch as wearable as thin as possible um and then with the dial, how are you going to designate the time? You know, what are the markers going to look like in the hands? It's like, well, there are only so many things you can work with that's really going to look good and be cohesive. Um, right, like there, there and, are limits to geometry, basically, <laughs> right? I mean, um, it's, this all sounds obvious, but it's like, that's, what, that's the challenge that we're working with is how to create something totally unique given right. the very real limitations we have. And, and, and yeah, and, and part of it is like, it was really a golden age back then. Yeah. You know, like you had like tons and tons of brands and like many of them died in the quartz crisis. Mm -hmm. And so you had all these designers, you know, like trying to make something of their own as well. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, okay, like we grew up, we grew up like these markers and you think like Lauren was saying, it's totally new. <laughs> and then we go on timeline.watch like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that site, but it's like Dan Henry's sort of archive. Okay. He goes by decade. There's like 20s, 30s, 40s, like, and so on. And then we'll see, oh, someone did these markers already. So, well, I guess you gotta do that again. Um, it kind of goes back to like, you know, the, uh, like when you're talking about doing like a waffle dial, right? I mean, you, I mean, obviously there's been tons of waffle dials that have been done. There's still companies that are doing waffle dials, but it's about incorporating that, that vintage uh, aspect, that cool, unique feature um, into something that it hasn't necessarily been done before or something that it falls within your design language, right? I mean, you know, it's like there's a million companies that have done sandwich dials now, right? Or a million companies that have done, you know, guilt dials now that's coming back really popular. But it's kind of about how you like blend the combination together that I think um, really is what makes Laurier special 
and what really makes your pieces special and, and makes them so, I guess, interesting in the modern context. Before we get back, like before we go, like we're focusing a lot on design, but I kind of want to go back into kind of the beginning for you guys. Like you guys said you're both teachers or you were both teachers and that's how you kind of started out. But what really, like, were you both initially into the watch hobby? Like did with one of you get into it and then got the other one into it? Like how did watches start for you guys? Uh, so it started with me. Yeah. Um, and I guess like it, it, it goes back to when I really got down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. was uh, my 15th birthday when my dad got me a Seiko 5. Mm. And this was in this was in 2003. Mm -hmm. So at the time, there were all these ads for the Seiko Kinetic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I asked my dad, oh, is this one of those things that doesn't have a battery? And he's like, well, it doesn't have a battery, but it's like more old school than the kinetic. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a display case back and I was like, oh my God, that's cool. Um, and so that was my, that was my watch. That was my watch until grad school. Mm. Uh, and we, we were dating. Yeah. We met in college. In college. And, and, you know, like college is kind of time when you're trying to become adult and that's when a lot of people get into watches as kind of a necessity like uh, this is me becoming an adult and you know mm -hmm. having a job and looking like a professional and so that's probably I mean I bought my first watch with those kinds of things in mind mm -hmm. and then you know I showed Lorenzo my beautiful quartz Scoggin watch and he was like oh that's pretty but you know let me talk <laughs> I was like you. it was quartz <laughs> yeah I was I was a little like wow you know Lorenzo's not that much of a purist anymore you know he's a ball is more gracious towards uh -huh. all watches uh -huh. but at that time when he was really getting into you know your the vintage watches and all that I mean he was like hmm you know it could be better you mm -hmm. know <laughs> It's quartz. Yeah, and like, I, yeah, right. Don't right. all watches have batteries, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And um, yeah, pretty soon I had my own Seiko. And we, um, for our wedding, we got um, complimentary, complimentary um, vintage Omegas. Uh -huh. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah. And so those are pretty much like our two watches. <laughs> and we're our two main yeah, watches. Those were, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, until we started making our own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like, it's very, um, our story is very like of the time period, I guess you mm. could say, because this was, you know, around 10 years ago and we both have small wrists. So mm. at that time, the standard size was like 42 millimeters mm -hmm. and, you know, everything was too big. And, you know, like you'd post on the forums, oh, I have a small wrist. What do we get? And it's like, okay vintage or Seiko SKX 013 mm -hmm. so that's that's what we had basically <laughs> yeah this was like how much for our complimentary uh, vintage omegas and you know at that time they were two hundred dollars and uh now now they're worth like 10 times that much so that was good timing for us yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you think about it, like our collection at the time was very like of the time, because if you looked at the forums, like, like we, we, have, we both have small wrists, right? So if you look mm -hmm. on the forums and you ask, okay, I have a small wrist, what do I get, right? And you had mm -hmm. two choices, essentially. It was Vintage mm -hmm. or Seiko SKX 013. Mm -hmm. And 
that's what we had. Mm-hmm. And that's what, yeah, we had until, <laughs> yeah. until we uh, made our own watches. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. That's, um, I think you described a journey that's very similar to a lot of people, but one that's very specific to mine. Like my first watch that I got from my father was an SKX, or sorry, a, a Seiko 5 as well. <clears throat> And then very quickly, as you kind of start to snowball into like the watch collecting community, you start to realize some of the other brands that are out there. And then it always seems like the next natural, uh, the, na- the next natural pick is always Omega, right? And, oh, really? and, and I have, I have a, uh, it's funny you say that because I bought for my wedding, I bought myself a, uh, a vintage Omega Seamaster as well. And I think I paid, I paid like next to nothing for it. And it's, it's worth way more now. Uh, it's a 34 millimeter um, CK2577. So the first generation Seamaster. Um, wow. Like a beautiful, like speckling on the dial. I just posted a picture of it yesterday and it's got like the, the patina on it is amazing, but it's in great shape. Original lines. It's never been polished. I think it was actually serviced. Maybe it was polished, but serviced by Omega. Um, so it's in, it's in incredible shape. Beads of rice bracelet love that watch and it just like it's really cool to kind of hear that that's kind of like your journey as you went through it um and then obviously you know it from there then you went into making your own watches which is just so cool so incredibly cool and so was there a little bit more to that story i think you we had uh been chatting off camera previously and you'd mentioned there's a bit more of a story there as well about uh some of the collections and kind of the journey you went into with the pieces you've you've selected over time Huh. I mean, no. Yeah. When, with, when we started, like we said earlier, the Neptune was our first model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, going back to the Seiko that we had, mm-hmm. I mean, we love Seiko, mm-hmm. and um, we would love to be like, you know, how people turn to Seiko as like a reliable mechanical mm-hmm. um, tool watch. Mm-hmm. Like, we would love to be like the, that that we want to be that only <laughs> with a more classic aesthetic right, right, you know yeah. Seiko does a great job at what they do mm-hmm. and that's partly why we don't make watches that look like that mm-hmm. you know we don't make watches that look as toolish and rugged because if you right, want something like right. that you can get a Seiko mm-hmm. yeah and so, but yeah. we're trying to provide something similar um which is slightly more similar spirit but different aesthetic yeah maybe yeah I yeah, that's... I mean, when when you know when we're talking about a collection, this just came to me now. Uh, you know, like the Omega and the Seiko, like we wanted something with the functionality of a Seiko, mm-hmm. like of a modern Seiko, mm-hmm. but with the aesthetics of the Omega. Because mm-hmm. you know, like the Omega, it's it's not something that we could wear every day. Mm-hmm. Like even if you know, even even if you didn't get them for much at the time. I mean, I guess we could wear them every day now because like with the pandemic, we're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but you know, as soon as, you know, we can go out yeah. and do stuff, like we wouldn't like wear it hiking. Right. You know, um, so, but, but we would take our cycles hiking. So like mm-hmm. sort of, I think we had a blog post about this. I don't even remember, but sort of like melding the two. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, inter- our, it's interesting because like in historically, like, a guy probably would have wore his his omega to go hiking and boating and shooting yeah, or whatever right, he's doing right, right? like like right. it's hard it's hard to imagine now when you see like where watches have progressed to the mm-hmm. like to imagine people doing the same things in like these tiny dainty you know little tiny 
vintage watches now right uh-huh. and it's, it's like yeah. i just i have yeah. a hard time imagining i don't know about you guys i have a hard time imagining like somebody putting like my vintage seamaster through the same paces that you put your seikos through or something like that right and, yeah. and it you holding know, but, up yeah but i think that's has to do with like modern design mm-hmm. and consumption and how hmm. there are <sighs> design is so like task oriented or like delineated like you have you don't just have a watch you have a sports watch you have a dress watch you have a pool watch you have Uh a diving watch you know like and 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 it has to reflect that specific mm -hmm. task and Mm -hmm. that's how it shows how good it is at that task is that it's very aesthetically Mm -hmm. i don't know oriented to that Mm -hmm. you know like oh this watch looks super rugged Mm -hmm. you know like it's made out of stainless steel and it has a beautiful movement it's like it's it's whereas back then it was more like oh here's a watch right but i (laughs) but i think part of maybe the quartz crisis Uh and and having to survive Mm -hmm. beyond that is you know you had all these little niches Mm -hmm. in a watch world and all these different purposes now you had a different Mm -hmm. you had to have a different watch for each purpose right whereas honestly it's a chunk of metal like with a crystal on it and a movement in there and Mm -hmm. if it's if, in, if it's assembled I, and manufactured I, I, yeah. well, it should hold up. Right. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. It just looks fancier, but it's made of the same materials. Right. So I think what you're saying is like, in order to like survive the quartz crisis, watches have to be more distinct. Right. Like, like how Brighton like goes like all in, like, mm-hmm. more in, like the whole pilot thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, so that, and yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. So the watches like in their design reflect that. Yes. Right. Yes. Whereas, you know, we look at vintage Breitlings and it was more like, they're more like jack, jacks of all trades as mm-hmm. with other brands. It's kind of interesting. Like you, you bring up an interesting point in the sense that it's like, I don't know, like you had some of that distinction in, I would say like the early sixties, even into the late fifties, like a perfect example being Omega, where it's like, you know, you had like a Speedmaster, right. Which was initially was made as like an Italian racing uh, watch before mm-hmm. ever ever went to the moon or anything like that but when you look at them and even when you look at the designs of the early Speedmasters or the early Seamasters not like like the actual Seamaster divers not like mine where it's like a general watch right um, but like there was a certain element of like fanciness or elegance right. that went into uh-huh. them where it was still right. like okay like it's a tool watch and we're designating as a tool watch but it's still like pretty enough that you could wear it every day in any sort of Mm -hmm. setting right like there wasn't bright super bright colors and crazy wacky you know super sharp angles it was like lots like you know so beautiful liar lugs and you know very nice finishing Mm -hmm. and beveling and and a certain elegance to them right Uh, and rolex as well you know rolex you know people rolex is rolex right but they have like they've always really maintained like a very specific balance i guess between like functionality and purpose uh, being a purpose-built watch specific like you have like explorer 2 you have the gmts you have the submariner you have the sea dweller but the daytona right but all of them have this cohesive design language that brings them together and they're still like they're like all their watches you can wear for their intended purpose or you can wear it out with a suit for dinner right like that's kind of they kind of are yeah. really good at doing that but then you see like you were saying this departure that occurred, I guess, maybe, yeah, more in the late 80s, maybe into the 90s, where it was like, oh, like, we're going to build, um, like, like Zinn, for example, right? 
Mm-hmm. Zen is Zen incredible watches, but it's like it's pretty clear from looking at them what their purpose is, right? right and they right. don't, you know, I wouldn't say maybe until like recently in the last year or two, have they really tried to diversify their pieces enough to be like, okay, well, you could wear it for, you know, as a more general piece or as a very, um, a very purpose-built piece. You know, like I don't, you're probably not going to wear a U1 with a tuxedo. People who do, but I mean, yeah. but it's not really made for that, right? It's Yeah, it's, right, right. It's its own vibe, like if you do that. Yeah, well, they're very, they're, very, they're much like military, paramilitary, rugged, you know, like they yeah. kind of have their own, their own kind of look to them, which a lot of people like, but you know, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have a Zin and then have something else that you're going to wear yeah. if you want to like, yeah. you know, whereas again, it goes back to this like one watch idea where like Laurier is killing it, where it's like, I could just have this one watch and I could do whatever I want in it and it works, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a weakness and it's a strength and a weakness, I would say, because there, you know, the, we, we get some feedback. Mm-hmm. and you know some people say oh well it's not very exciting hmm. and some of it is fair you know it's 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 not meant to be mm-hmm. super exciting it, it's meant to be a jack of all trades mm-hmm. you know it's not meant to uh sort of fill a role in the collection like oh i need a green dial so let me get this mm-hmm. you know? and you know like when when we're conceptualizing you know a, a watch that's not really what we have in mind when Oh, let's do like crazy colors, for example. Right. Right. Like, yeah, we're not the brand to turn to if you're looking mm-hmm. for a really eccentric, um, out there mm-hmm. yeah. piece yeah. to complete your collection. Like, yeah. that's that's not our purpose. Yeah. And you know? yeah, right. And and that's kind of on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But because you- there are plenty of other brands, like especially micros that do what they do mm-hmm. like, extremely well yeah. but I, th- I think you just brought up a very interesting point because essentially like you know how a- eventually the counterculture always becomes the main culture and then it kind of goes in circles again right mm-hmm. so i mean like mm-hmm. like what you're describing and what you just said there is essentially like you know very much like the watch community the watch niche has always been very very conservative pieces very you know conservatively designed there's certain design elements but you want them to be functional and beautiful and and you know vibrant bright colors that are in your face like the tiffany dial rolexes and the pastel pink ones and all that stuff like Mm -hmm. that was always very like off to the side and people were like oh yeah it's there if you want it but it's not anything that's ever been center stage now we're seeing um going into 2021 2022 that's becoming very mainstream all these companies are coming out with these very bright fancy eccentric colors and I think now people are going to start looking for companies that are delivering what that more traditional styling of watchmaking is. And that's mm. kind of where, that's kind of where, um, you know, a, a brand like Laurier is going to really, I think, find itself is like, people are going to come to you guys to be like, Hey, like, I always want a normal watch, a, a normal, <laughs> a normal watch. Right. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's yeah. the thing about this community. It's in terms of taste and preference, it's so diverse but there are so many brands out there there's something for everyone Mm -hmm. and so that's I don't see you know and I think there's still a lot of room for growth when it comes Mm -hmm. to bringing more people into the hobby Mm -hmm. and into the love of mechanical watches Mm -hmm. and so I don't think of it as oh trends are changing and we have to change too it's like no there will always be Mm -hmm. people who like, who, mm-hmm. who share our 
ethos our ethos our tastes Uh um and we are going to be the brand we set out to be right right um for those people Mm -hmm. and if you don't like what we're putting out don't worry there are other brands out there yeah 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 there are tons of them and they're great yeah and (laughs) and like honestly sincerely they're great Mm. Um, i was gonna say earlier when we're talking about people like doing stuff with their 34 millimeter you know cmasters masters I should say the reason why we don't do anything with our Seamasters is because if something happens to them, it's very difficult to replace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for, for us, it was a question of availability. Mm-hmm. And I think like with starting the brand, that was one of the things we were trying to mm-hmm. address. Yeah, we're using, you know, common movements that are easy to replace repair mm-hmm. if needed you know like it's it's well we're there for you <laughs> to service yeah. your watch if you need it you right, know right. Um, yeah. so that kind of um anxiety around wearing a watch you really love hopefully mm-hmm. um can be dissipated just because hey it's not a one-of-a-kind right um, right yeah yeah and and that also goes into like how we make our watches available I, mean, I, I know we have this reputation of, oh, you know, when they have something in stock, they, you know, sell out very quickly. But I think we're past that now. Like, you mm-hmm. kind of put all our efforts into making it so that, you know, when we have something in stock, it'll be in stock, mm-hmm. like, as much as we can. I mean, I know we sell models out of stock right now, but, you know, we're working on it. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, the ones that are in stock mm-hmm. are in stock and have been for a while. Yeah. Right. And that's also sort of a strength and a weakness. You know, like as, as much as I, you know, don't want to admit it, there's, you know, there's also some uh, appeal to having something that's not widely available or there's mm-hmm. something that's not readily available. Yeah. Right. Um, which is a requirement that we're not, it's a box that we're not trying to check. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. the whole thing is we're here when you need us you right. know in terms yeah. of um in terms of your watch mm-hmm. so yeah it was, it was kind of weird that like we come out with our philosophy like you know this watch you can put it through the ringer knowing that it can be repaired or replaced if, mm-hmm. if necessary and then it was like selling out so quickly people were like well what the heck you know how right. are you sure it can be replaced it's like yes don't worry we got you covered um, even though it's out of stock on the site, but mm-hmm. yeah, and we're hopefully we're past that now and we can, people can still rest easy. Right. Yeah. right. And even though we've updated the collection, we still keep spare parts mm-hmm. for every watch we've made mm-hmm. just so people like, well, people will, yeah, yeah, just for servicing. And, and stuff, yeah. So. yeah. Okay. And so like sort of a, a, an obvious kind of quick hitter question, but one that I've been, I have forgot to ask a little earlier on, but how did you come up with the name Laurier? Oh, well, both of them are names, Lauren Lorenzo, the root word is Laurel. Mm. Um, and so that's personal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Laurier uh, itself is an old French word for Laurel. Mm-hmm. And so um, with our brand name, Laurier, it's something that is unique to us, especially to us, but still the laurel, the laurel wreath has a lot of um, universal 
significance and connotation to it, victory and honor, mm -hmm. you know, it's what the Olympic champions were crowned with mm -hmm. um, in ancient Greece. And so it seemed I don't appropriate. Know, yeah. Appropriate. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the, when we were coming up with our brand, I mean, beside creating the, a mock-up of our first watch, it was, what's our brand going to be? That was, yeah, that was, you know, yeah. it, it can't be too long or complicated. Yeah. It can't be like too out there. It needs to be something that people can it recognize. Might, yeah, 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 yeah. Naming the brand, I think, is more difficult than actually designing the watch. <laughs> <laughs> it might seem obvious now, right? Because like, oh, duh, Lauren Lorenzo, of course. But um, yeah, that's good though. It took that, a while. that it's obvious after the fact. That's how yeah. you did it, right? Yeah, actually, the logo. People ask us about our logo. Like, what's up with that? It's actually. And an abstract, yeah, a stylized representation of part of a laurel wreath, like the the chevrons are actually leaves. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so that's, interesting. That, that's where we came up with that. But you know, it's I think it um, there's a lot of strength to it. It's very solid mm -hmm. name and logo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very particular about branding. You mm -hmm. know, to a fault where if I don't like the brand name or logo i just won't purchase anything with it you know yeah, like yeah. you're not alone in that though mm -hmm. yeah 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 hmm. so anyway i like this of course it's all subjective um but yeah we're happy with it mm -hmm. hmm. and so you you kind of went back uh or you you mentioned also about you know getting feedback from people and, and people uh, asking you questions about your designs, asking you questions about availability, you know, kind of just getting your feedback from the community, obviously, and, and the people that are interested in your watches. Now, do you find that the, the primary uh, group of consumers of your pieces, is it the watch collecting community or is it like the general population that are just kind of looking for an interesting watch? Like, do you find that you're getting like you know, people who are established in what watches are and how they work and the day-to-day -day of the watch collecting community? Is it really just generalists that are buying your pieces? Well, That's a good I, question. I think we assumed um, from the start that we would be a brand that appeals to watch enthusiasts and to mm -hmm. people who know about watches and watch history. Um, but we have a surprising number of, of first-timers mm -hmm. um, who are just getting into watches and stumbled across our brand. Um, and so Which that's good. That's yeah. always mm -hmm. exciting. Like, oh, I'm glad to hear we, you know, appeal to the general population. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But the people who have the most nuanced feedback and questions and opinions are, of course, people who are very much in the watch community mm -hmm. and very right, right. passionate enthusiasts yeah. Um, yeah i mean we don't have a survey or anything but i think if you look like just my impression is that most of our owners are going to be watch collectors yes yeah. and and i would like to say maybe that people who buy our watches um not thinking of going into watch collecting maybe as they learn more about our watch um would be become more interested in watch collecting mm -hmm. and become more of a watch enthusiast after buying our watch mm -hmm. because so much of our watch is rooted in <laughs> uh, that history mm -hmm. and yeah. there's a lot to unpack. Um, I could see like your 
your watches specific, particularly for like the generalists that are just interested or the first timers that are interested being appealing because it's like that sense of familiarity with the designs, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, like this reminds me of granddad's watch. This reminds me of my dad's watch. This reminds me of my uncle's watch or something mm -hmm. like that, where it's like, Oh, like, you know, so there's that, there's that comfort level where it's like, Oh, someone important in my life had a watch that looked like this and it must be a good watch because of that. Right. Mm -hmm. I, could see, I could see that kind of pulling people that maybe aren't familiar with, you know, watches as a, as a hobby towards mm -hmm. the brand. But then obviously, like you were saying, like, people that are in the hobby are, are really appreciative of like the things that you're doing. And like, you know, like right now, like a, a perfect example of like a design feature that we brought up a couple of times already, but it's like the waffle dial, like no one's doing that anymore. Right. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's yeah. a, there's right. like, right. you know, maybe there's a couple like off niche brands that are doing it and they're charging you like $30,000 for a watch, but you know, it's so hard to get something like that unless you're buying vintage. Right. And I yeah, can see, yeah. I can see like continuing on with really unique uh, design features like that is something that's really going to appeal to the, to the, uh, the watch collecting community, mm -hmm. but also just like the general mix of like vintage aesthetic with modern materials. I think that's something that is just really appealing and interesting to people and your watches are beautiful like i love i love what you've done particularly with uh the bracelets right i think that that's something that we haven't really been able to touch on yet but like that that flat link bracelet that looks so seamless and and beautifully integrates into the case as well too like it just like no one's doing anything like that right now it's Thank phenomenal you. right yeah yeah um you know like i think we were at the beginning of that wave mm -hmm. And you're seeing it more and more now. Yeah. yeah. So it's nice to see. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when our bracelet style was new or, yeah. you know, like unusual. And now. Right, right. Yeah. I've, I've seen quite a few flat link bracelets, but it's, yeah. you know, of course, they're probably in development before ours came out. Mm. Or at oh, the same time. Or at the same yeah. time. But, or, um, well, it's, it's, you guys aren't you guys aren't reinventing the wheel when you come up with right. a flat length bracelet, but you're just making a better wheel, right? You're just doing something interesting with them with the modern materials and context and integrating it into your own design, right? Yeah, and yeah. and to be honest, a lot of it is very personal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when uh, when we started, it was like, well, like with the waffle dial, it's like, well, why doesn't Rolex do this anymore? This mm -hmm. is also. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> why, why, why don't we see this a lot mm -hmm. this is awesome so let's do that and yeah. the same thing with a flat link bracelet yeah and i think people are catching on which mm -hmm. is a good thing um it means that we have less explaining to do mm -hmm. yeah. on the one hand yeah. so that's <laughs> yeah, so that's good yeah um, we can just point to others and be like see 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 <laughs> It's just yeah, like when, when we were going back to like that, that golden era of design, right? I mean, there was never like nowadays products are designed, not, not necessarily watches, but products are generally designed with like, it's like, okay, we're going to come out with the next bigger, better thing next year. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when you had things that they were designing in that period of the fifties and the sixties in particular, even the forties, you know, there was never this idea of planned obsolescence. Right. Yeah. It was like, it was like yeah. we are going to make something that is going to be beautiful and timeless now and beautiful and timeless a hundred years from now. Yeah. And I think yeah. that like things like when they came up with like the waffle mm -hmm. dial, when they came up with flat link bracelets, when those, when the first trendsetters were coming out with those ideas, it's like, this is always going to be cool. 
and mm -hmm. or and I think right. that I think they that, were that right. they were right <laughs> exactly yeah. right and I think that that's sort of the idea when you're incorporating those designs is they're always going to have mass appeal because they're always they're always made from their inception to be interesting engaging cool and functional and I think that that's that's just a, a great idea and a great way of incorporating that into your designs that's exactly it i don't know how we could have said it better yeah yeah thank uh, you so much yeah uh, you can wow. you can write you can put that on the website if you want yeah right <laughs> <laughs> very cool um okay so what is it like then just in like more of the behind the scenes what is it like running a micro brand and and kind of how have things changed from the early days of running a micro brand to now that you guys are like established in like the cool kids who have it figured out <laughs> I don't know if you can say that yet. I, mean, I um, wanted to say like, we're a mom and pop, only mm -hmm. we're online. We're an online mom and pop, you okay. know? So it's nothing razzle dazzle behind the scenes. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, we have orders to fulfill. We mm -hmm. have emails to respond to. We have social media to <laughs> occasionally post to. Um, but it's like the everyday. Lauren's laughing because we don't post. On social we media haven't been on Instagram really, for like two weeks. Really oh, it's okay. Um, yeah. Ah, uh, we've been busy. We just uh, restocked the yeah. Gemini. Nice. Weeks ago, so we we've had a lot of yeah. stuff to do. But um, yeah, um, the day to day is just the basic. Yeah, but that's day to day, uh -huh. and I think. It, but if you talk about like what is it like to run a micro brand mm -hmm. in general i think you can like there 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 are two big challenges mm -hmm. maybe three but the two that i'm thinking of are number one how do you make what you have in your head real mm -hmm. and number two sort of like as an artist or a creator how do you get that across mm -hmm. once it's actually made and yeah, it's like behind the scenes, it's not easy. Like, so, well, one misconception is that, you know, like micros get all our parts from some factory in China and we just go on Alibaba. And, and there's a catalog, and we're like, these hands, the style, this case. Mm. Right. But Which I guess is possible. You could do. Yeah, you could technically do do that. Uh -huh. I, th I think some brands do, but I don't think they're very popular. Right. Not at least not within the watch uh, community. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's actually like the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Where um, so here's a funny story. Uh, when we were uh, doing the latest batch of Gemini. Uh, it, it's like it, we're doing it in like full COVID. Mm -hmm. And so the factories are not operating at full capacity. Right. They're, they're all out of sorts. Mm -hmm. And so we were getting production samples in and the, the bezel uh, inserts were all misprinted. Like, so mm -hmm. like numbers wouldn't align, markers wouldn't align. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this is no good. So we got to redo them. And to redo them, we had to look at 17 different factories just for the bezel insert and finally find one that could do it consistently that could right. put them within our tolerances consistently. right right so out of out of those 17 there, there was one uh -huh. that could do it 
And that's just for the bezel insert, right? And then I need to go to another factory to actually fill the loom into the little triangle at the okay. 12 o'clock. And then needs to go to another place to ins insert, you know, that ring into the bezel itself. Right. Um, and so there, there are all these different moving parts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you see yeah. what I did there? Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but but there you know there's um opportunities for um complications <laughs> every step of the way your timing <laughs> is perfect on these jokes <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i just fell right into those but okay anyway um but yeah so you never know when it's going to go seamlessly mm -hmm. and everything will fall into place or in any one of those 50 different stages, there could be a hangup where something needs to be redone or yeah, or like we need to find another factory altogether. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so the- So the, that's, that's what being a micro brand is like, not having one factory that does everything for your watch specifically. Right. For most micro brands. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the, I mean, this is the supply chain is just really complicated. Well, it sounds like a bit of a logistical nightmare and a lot of like, and then also you're trying to coordinate things on the complete opposite side of the world and hoping that it just goes right because of if you basically aren't getting any communication anymore or something doesn't yeah. arrive and you don't hear anything. It's like, okay, well, we have no idea what actually is going on over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in, in the before times you'd go to Hong Kong uh -huh. at least once a year. Mm. And that made things a lot easier. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we haven't been able to do that in the past year. And we were there and a half. in February 2020. 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just like, and everyone was telling us, don't go, postpone your trip. There are 12 cases in Hong Kong. Are you sure you're going to be safe? Um, yeah. And we got, we got, we were like, now. no, we have to go. We can't go now. Okay. When are we yeah. going to go? And yeah. Uh, yeah, we haven't been able to go back yeah. since. And that yeah. was when the Gemini was just coming out. We were right. going there to inspect assembly mm -hmm. of the first right. batch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And now we don't know when we're going to be able to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, so you have to sort all that out, <laughs> all that supply chain stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then once once it's actually made, you know, like obviously there's a whole question of okay, like is this thing actually how I envisioned it from the beginning? Mm -hmm. And that's its own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a side story, um, I was talking with Bill Yao from Mark II mm -hmm. at Find Up a couple of years ago, and mm -hmm. he was saying, whatever estimate you have in your head for a project, multiple multiply that by pi. And that's when it will actually be done. Oh boy! And yeah, that's that's about accurate. And you know, Bill's been at this for a lot longer than we have. Mm -hmm. so, so it's like just for for the people that don't know, is that is that three point one four one five nine? That's what you gotta <laughs> yeah. multiply it by. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Is, yeah. Yes, indeed. That's an expensive project. So definitely, especially when you're designing something like like your pieces, right? I imagine that adds up pretty quickly. Like people don't really know like the amount of like money and resources that go into just creating something new yeah mm -hmm. yeah and yeah and just the time it takes mm -hmm. to keep trying until you get exactly mm -hmm. what you want right right um 
Yeah, and it, it's hard to get that across because, like, you could talk about that as much as you like, mm-hmm. but then, you know, on the other side, it will look like, oh, they're just making excuses and blah blah blah, yeah. mm. or you know, oh, they're incompetent, they're not really professional, and but you know, like everybody, everybody goes through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 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 not like you know, you just like there's not it's like a dream machine that just rips it out of your head and makes it. You know, it's like there's. Yeah there's yeah. CAD drawings and there's designing and then there's finding someone that can make it. Like you, you, even just talking about example, like with the bezel you were talking about there, like there's a lot of that that goes into putting a watch together that people just don't understand. And like, that's time consuming. It's emails, it's phone calls. It's, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. And I think that, you know, people need to understand that. It's not like you just, okay, now we're just going to make a watch and we're going to pull the bezel off and put a solid bezel on it. And like, that's our next watch. It's like, it's not quite that simple, right? It's a lot more that goes into it. Right. Um, and also just the reality that like we're humans in a physical world. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying, you know, having a, you can't, you don't just have a dream machine mm-hmm. where what you imagine can, can exist mm-hmm. um, because there are, physical constraints you know mm-hmm. a movement is so big you know mm-hmm. i'm sorry the, your chronograph is so thick you know mm-hmm. like it's a big movement oh we were just talking about this <laughs> earlier um yeah like whenever a brand releases like whenever a big brand releases a chronograph mm-hmm. like, inevitably you'll see in the comments oh i love it but it's so thick mm-hmm. it's like well that's sort of like because like where, where, where else are you gonna put the movement and like has to be <laughs> Well, and you see that how you see that come up too, like not even just with big brands, but just with like even with some micro brands that go into to using like a value or something like that for mm-hmm. a chronograph. It's like, you know, they'll design this beautiful watch and then you see the side profile of it. And it's a hockey puck. And yeah. you're, you know, and yeah. you're like, you kind of understand where or you start to see where it's like, okay, well, this was more about just getting the watch out and whatever form it came out as just to say that they had the chronograph versus taking design into the consideration and being like okay like we're gonna be able to we're gonna make this chronograph but it's gonna look really weird because it's gonna be like you know an inch and a half tall on your wrist or whatever it's gonna end up being right and it's just you can kind of tell where people make those considerations and where they don't i mean now because i think watch collecting is taking off so much and the watch hobbies taking off so much and becoming more mainstream you're starting to see people starting to work again with things like modules or removing the removing the automatic rotor going back to hand wind like for a long time and you guys probably remember it too because it sounds like you were kind of involved uh, getting into watches when i was too like people were didn't like manual wind like people were, were when especially when automatics are really popular and like that early 2000s to mid 2000s mm-hmm. it's like Oh, well, if you get a, if you get a hand wind, that's detrimental. That's a negative, right? That's not, you know, always get right. the automatic. The automatic is better. And now right. it's like, oh, a hand wind, that's cool, right? Like that's yeah. different. That's yeah. that's unique. And now right. that obviously allows brands, to, now that that shift in public opinion and perception has changed, that allows brands to now create these thinner chronograph watches. Another thing too um, was uh, going from like the traditional setup of a chronograph to buy compacts right for the mm-hmm. longest time it was so hard to find a buy compacts watch unless it was vintage right. um and now they're popping up everywhere again which i think is super cool i think that's a really yeah. neat kind of thing you're seeing that change in that kind of again people going back to appreciating the vintage design elements that are always going to be kind of cool and desirable for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so 
Can I? Can I? Oh. Is it too early? Do we have a Rico's Washes exclusive? Yeah. <laughs> I would just say uh, that we would love to release a hand winding watch. Yeah, yeah. We already, I mean, we already, already have, have one a manual. And the, yeah, that's the chronograph. A chronograph. But, but, yeah. but, but like a there is potential for a manual three hander. All right. We have it on. We can't. You can't make that promise yet. <laughs> we have it on the drawing board. <laughs> you know, we want, I mean, we, we want to do it. You're not uh, saying, but you're just saying. I get it. Yeah. 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 You guys almost heard it here first then. That's <laughs> yeah, we have our fingers crossed. Very uh, cool. That, you know, you, you heard it here first. And yeah. In the exploratory stages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Oh, was that was that another little like play on words there? <laughs> you know, people may come back to this interview and just <laughs> hear a lot of hidden messages. Who knows? Wow, there's gonna, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a mountain of questions to go over now. Yes, <laughs> people will be on the case. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, that was that was not as good as my other ones. Yeah. You, you've peaked. Anyway. You've peaked my interest. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. Now people are gonna ask you. Oh, what do they say behind the scenes? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> what did they show you? <laughs> I I know nothing. Anyways, um, okay. So what is so I guess you kind of have already hinted at it, but in, on a grander scale or a more general scale, what is next for Laurier? I think, and I, I think I've said this before, but in terms of complications mm -hmm. and um, we, we've met our goal, like we have a GMT, we have a chronograph, mm -hmm. um, we have a diver, we have two divers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to explore different time periods now mm -hmm. cool yeah. yeah 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 so lauren was saying we've sort of checked all the boxes we wanted and so if you asked us this like five months ago we have no idea mm -hmm. um but now but lately there's been a little a little itch yeah like a, a little spark yeah yeah, yeah uh -huh. a little mm -hmm. actually there are some stones mm -hmm. we still have to yeah yeah we might yeah, yeah. so it, in terms of like decades it might be more 30s 40s okay i was gonna say uh, yeah um but we did just get this book by uh Horala Vox, mm -hmm. vintage watches that's very like it's all these like, quirky watches from the Retro 70s watches. Like, re yeah. yeah yeah i think yeah yeah i think that's what it's called mm -hmm. um yeah and so it's very like 70s mm -hmm. and we would love to do that too, yes. uh, but we have we have nothing on on like the drawing board there. Hmm. Still so, early, but yeah. but yeah, there are other places we like to go now, mm -hmm. um, aesthetically speaking. Kind of like yeah. exploring like Art Deco and things like that, even a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, very mm -hmm. cool. Because yeah. that's apparently it's making a comeback. So it is okay. Good to know. Good to know. We yeah. heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> So two encouraging things from our conversation with you, yeah. Man Wine and Art Deco is coming back. Okay. Very cool. Well, I mean, that's, that's just what I've heard. I mean, I heard it somewhere else. So don't put it on me if it doesn't work out. <laughs> you know. it, sounds, it's, that, that sounds really interesting. That sounds uh, very exciting. And, um, you know, maybe some potential for a dress watch then. Something like yeah, that. We're, we're, yeah, we're very uh, excited for our next releases absolutely you know, crossing our fingers and 
hope we can make them happen you know the way we have it imagined mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well if any if past indication is any uh determining factor in what will happen in the future i think that you guys will hit it out of the park for sure. So I'm excited to definitely see what, what comes next up in the catalog. It'll be very, very cool for sure. Uh, kind, of, kind of moving out of specifically um, talking about Laurier, the brand, and we, we touched a little bit on it with, with collections already, but what would you say? Like, are there other pieces that you have in your collection aside from your Seikos and from your Omegas and then obviously your own pieces? Like, have you, have you collected and explored any other brands? now that you've gotten more deeper into it or not really? No, I mean, because I guess if we hadn't started our own brand, mm -hmm. it would have been appropriate for us to start collecting maybe. other pieces. I don't know, maybe. maybe for you. But now, I mean, that's probably where it would have gone. Mm -hmm. you know? But now it's like anything we, we want, anything we have a hankering for. You just make we can make yeah. yeah and so as much as i can appreciate other watches and there are a ton of beautiful watches out there that i love you know instagram is great for that because i can look at pictures of them mm -hmm. and admire them but i don't feel a pull to to actually own it because mm -hmm. i'm pretty satisfied mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you uh, i mean for me you know, like when I think about a parallel universe where we never started the brand, I don't think I would have uh, gone into, like, I, I don't think I would have actually gone into vintage pieces because, you know, they're, they're, they're expensive to uh -huh. buy, but they're even more expensive to own mm -hmm. and maintain. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah. So that it uh, wouldn't have been practical for our right, lives. Right. So. And, um, and thinking about watches that came out in the past few years mm -hmm. so i'm people say i'm crazy but like i'm really partial to an acrylic crystal mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, that's yeah. part of why we started a brand because right right there weren't any watches with acrylic crystals that... right yeah yeah and so there haven't really been many watches that have been released in the past few years that check that box for me mm -hmm. i guess if, if you you said this before that uh -huh. if you hadn't started on the watch brand, I, your daily now would be a speed. It, it would be a speedmaster, yeah. Mm -hmm. But an acrylic speedmaster. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but then but then it would be several thousands of dollars on my wrist and I would never feel comfortable wearing it. So you know, yeah. Um yeah, so when it comes to uh the whole watch collecting thing, I I think it was stuff and watches on Instagram mm -hmm. who said, I'm not so much as a collector as I am an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And I think we fall more into that box. Okay. Of, yeah. Enthusiast. So you can appreciate lots of different brands and types of watches without actually owning them yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. um, and also just uh, philosophically, Mm -hmm. I, I had this epiphany a couple of years ago when we were at a red bar and someone was talking about how uh, their dad had this tutor mm -hmm. and he had, he had it restored. And I was like, mm -hmm. there's no watch that you can buy that will be better than that. And that, that made something click in me where it's like, Oh, so like, there's no such thing as like a grail really. 
mm-hmm. that you can buy. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a grill is something, uh, the way I see it anyway, like for me personally, like a grill is, is something that that is, you know, imbued by the experiences uh, of somebody given else. Meaning, yeah. Given meaning. Yeah. Like by you. Through, through, yeah, yeah, by you or personal history, you know, so. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I think that's a very important thing to remember is like, you want like these watches, you know, I don't know, like I just, there's certain like now it's it's a little different because almost like the stories you hear are kind of part of the watch's story in the sense where like so like you hear like about like omegas now that are being found and they've been in like a jeweler's vault since like the 1960s right so you find like a speedmaster that was you know a, a pre-moon speedmaster that was sitting in a vault the whole time and it's like okay well like it's untouched box and papers right mm-hmm. and then you see like, okay, like this Speedmaster was worn by so-and-so and he beat the snot out of it. And it's got this ding from this and this scratch from this and whatever. And like, you kind of see the two different stories where it's like one is very cold and one comes with that warmth of the experiences of another person and the stories of, mm-hmm. of the person who had it before. I guess now when you're talking about watches that old that are being found in, in like a jeweler's vault and they're untouched, that sort of is the story of it that makes it kind of cool so you have Mm -hmm. that associated to it but Mm -hmm. i can see what you mean where like you're building this connection with a watch right and whether it's your dad's or it's your own but it's like you look at it and like your omega your omegas it's like yeah i bought this we bought this these together to complement each other on our wedding right Mm -hmm. like that's an that's a story that you're always going to have associated with that piece right right and i think that that's that's something that is can't be taken for granted Right. And that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, your, your watches, uh, Laurier in particular are able to kind of do is you're, you're giving people the ability to tell that story and wear their watch and add their own, um, their own experiences to it and kind of create these grails it, it, with a watch that looks good is functional. And like you said, they don't have to worry about wearing like a $5,000 watch on their wrist and beating it up. It's like, mm-hmm. I can, I can buy a nice watch that is functional it looks nice. It has classic styling, but I can wear it. I can do everything I want to do in it and build my own story with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, exactly. that's exactly our mission statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll put that on the website too. There you go. There you go. Good thing we're recording this. <laughs> I don't know if I could come up with it twice. But <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool guys. And that's, that's kind of a common theme um, in regards to what I'm hearing from a lot of the uh, micro brand collectors I've been interviewing is it's like once I've started my own brand I don't really want to buy other people's stuff I want to have my own right I want to yeah. I want to wear my own because I'm creating the watches that I love right and that if I you said if there's something I want I just make it and mm-hmm. I guess that that's that's a really unique yeah. uh it's yeah. a really unique position to be in it and is. Guess, yeah <laughs> would you say now we're kind of like the watch collecting hobby with how popular it's getting how mainstream it's getting how we're starting to establish all these micro brands again um it's kind of going through like a second renaissance like would you say it's almost like it's it's sort of like we're going back into a new golden age of watchmaking just in a modern context that that would be cool yeah i I would certainly hope so i mean if not now then when Mm -hmm. you know i think this is yeah i mean yeah in terms of yeah and and i I do want to take, like, just like, since you mentioned other micro-brands, I want to take 10 seconds to say that there are so many other micro-brands that are doing amazing mm-hmm. work and just like kudos to everybody. Mm-hmm. Cause, 
like when, when we meet in person and we haven't gotten that opportunity this past year it's always like oh like we found our people <laughs> you know like no one really understands in the same way that we do mm-hmm. but and you know like some people say oh like they're a competition whatever but no it's like like we, we can really appreciate it feels more like a community yeah yeah we, yeah because each micro brand is trying to do its own thing mm-hmm. each mm. has its own specific mission and mm-hmm. there's so much diversity there that yeah. we can all and e- just yeah. and even support if, each other and right, hang out together right, and yeah. admire each other and even and if and yeah and even if like our missions are similar like we end up doing things differently anyway mm-hmm. so um yeah so I, I mean I'm not gonna name any microbrands because inevitably I'm gonna leave people out mm-hmm. and I hate it when that happens to us <laughs> so like everybody is like amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> well one of the best things that's happened to us since starting this brand is having um, the ability to present at um, Wind Up, at mm-hmm. Warren Rounds Wind Up uh, Festival. And it's pretty cool because we're with all these brands that we admire and then we hang out afterwards and mm-hmm. it's a ton of fun. Yeah. You know? And not just the brands, just like the people who show up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Watching through this too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good time yeah Yeah. one day one day we'll get we'll get back to there so the watch uh i guess like the watch making community in the micro brand niche like pretty tight group of individuals you probably is there a lot of like exchange of not so much ideas because everyone's kind of doing their own thing but the exchange of resources so like, no, not at all actually. not really so it's no. like yeah yeah people like are doing their own thing but there's a lot of um i don't want to say like commiseration there's a lot of relating to each other mm-hmm. in terms of a shared experience yeah you know yeah. there's a lot of things that we uniquely understand mm-hmm. about each other right right um that's yeah. helpful in its own yeah. way yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but in terms of you know like our our actual resources like we're all very we all have to be kind of secretive because mm-hmm. again they're like 100 factories for like every component mm. and it's like once you find the good one you know like you don't want to like they're ours now okay um, yeah. is i not supposed to say that i don't care <laughs> i mean i i that's as far as like as we go and i think it, like, i think if that's like the shared culture understanding amongst the the micro brand owners then i think that that's this the way you play ball right i mean that's yeah you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah, it's 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 a great community. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, I I wish I wish we could be you know out there more, and I'm glad that we can do this virtually because we don't we don't do it often enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a really unique community, and like the watch enthusiast community in general tends to be pretty tight knit mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. supportive, and mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. I don't know what other kind of area niche um would be so similar to this in terms of just a huge community with lots of expertise and style and Mm -hmm. taste and um different experiences it's it's a pretty cool community to be a part of Mm -hmm. yeah and outside of youtube comments there are some very wholesome moments you know like (laughs) you 
I, I mean to focus on the wholesome moments, and, mm-hmm. you know, like you kind of live for those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's been incredible for people to be able to kind of get the inside view on who you guys are, the people that are running Laurier, hearing about your experiences, your stories, getting more insight into like why you make the watches the way you make them and how you make the watches the way you make them. I think that that's so invaluable for people. And, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today uh, to share all this with us and to make this episode. I think it's going to be super interesting for people to listen to this and hear all this. And, um, Hope so. know, Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and, and really quickly before we kind of wrap it up, then where can people get in touch with, or I guess, where can people enjoy, uh, Laurier's content? Where are some places, some landing spots for people to go to? Um, on Instagram, Mm-hmm. We're Laurier Watches. Mm-hmm. Laurier is L-O-R-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um, and our website is the same. Laurierwatches.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, uh, if you have any questions, we're most responsive by email. Yeah. Okay. That's... That would be info at Laurierwatches.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Okay. And uh, yeah, guys, the girls definitely go and check them out. They have some fantastic watches, some incredible designs. Um, really, really something special within the watch community and within the micro brand community. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, likewise for myself, if anyone wants to reach out and talk to me, you shoot me an email at Rico's watches podcast at gmail.com. You can find my Instagram page at Rico's watches podcast. Or if you want to watch this episode, instead of listening to it on one of the major podcasting platforms, you can find this episode on YouTube under the Rico's watches podcast, YouTube channel, Lauren and Lorenzo. Thank you again. It was fantastic talking with you. Really appreciate you taking the time. And I love learning so much more about your brand today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for everything. Yeah, it was such a treat. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. You guys take care and uh, 